Hello, this is Brad Redderson, and welcome to Voices from 2020, an audio program powered by Stranova, exploring strategic reflections on our business present from the perspective of the future, and featuring your hosts, Bill Veltrup and Firehawk. It's one of several podcast series on the subject of strategic innovation in business offered by Stranova, a resource group dedicated to helping you achieve and capitalize on the incredible potential available for your own business. With her over 30 years of experience leading innovation, we know what it takes to turn ideas into profits. Please visit us to learn more at www.stranova.com. And now, please join us for this week's episode of Voices from 2020. Welcome to the eighth in our podcast series called Voices from 2020, where we travel forward in time to an ideal future and interview some of the visionaries and architects of that future in order to help us all remember how we got there. I'm Firehawk, and along with Bill Veltrup, we'll again be your hosts for this trip to an ideal 2020. As we continue our year-long exploration into what it took for wholeness to become the North Star of all human organizations on this planet, we want to again thank Brad Redderson for hosting this podcast series on his Stranova site. It's truly an honor to be part of Brad's passionate inquiry into strategic innovation. In reporting back from an ideal 2020, we agreed to abide by the values and ethics of the Guild of Evolutionary Time Travelers and not to identify specific future events in any of our conversations. In this month's podcast, we interviewed Diego Navarro, the founder of the Digital Bridge Academy. Located at Cabrillo College's Watsonville campus in Northern California, the Digital Bridge Academy is an innovative program designed to bridge the gap in education for young adults who are typically not encouraged to aim for college. Diego knows firsthand some of the challenges his students face. He was born in Pomona, California and went to a high school where the Bloods and the Crips were very prevalent. His experiences there and later a six-month trip to Mexico where he witnessed the impact of extreme poverty inspired him to work for social change. He graduated from Antioch College and worked as a community organizer in the late 70s. Diego then ran a software company prior to attending Harvard Business School. After Harvard, Diego worked at Hewlett-Packard where he designed computer systems. After he retired in 2000, he turned his attention to planning the Digital Bridge Academy. Diego often says he didn't so much leave his career in business but started on his longtime dream. Diego launched the program with private foundation support after spending a year researching the concept and piloting a model. It soon attracted support from the National Science Foundation as well. The result is an accelerated rather than remedial curriculum that Diego says effectively lights a fire in his students. So join us now as we travel to an ideal year 2020 and listen in on the conversation with Diego Navarro. 
So I'm Bill Veltrup, and I'm here in the living room at Hansa House with my longtime partner and colleague and friend, Firehawk, and my dear friend and colleague and fellow visionary who I met way back in, I think, 1999 when you were CEO of Sante. Uh, you had had quite a career up until that point, but what I want to focus on mostly is where we are right now. You can look through the haze there and you can, you can see Cabrillo College almost, mm -hmm. and Cabrillo College, Community College, has changed enormously over the last 13 years. The dream that you had way back when I first met you has done much to catalyze the movement and the transformation that has taken place at Cabrillo College and in the community that Cabrillo College serves. And this podcast is going to be made available to people around the world in the year 2007. And what I want to do is to capture from you what you see today in the idea of the year 2020 in terms of what's, what has happened mm -hmm. in the community college, not, at, not only at Cabrillo, but, uh, but throughout the country. Mm -hmm. so, so why don't you start with focusing in on what's different? What's different at community college? What's different in the community mm -hmm. as a result of it? Great. Well, thank you for this opportunity to be here. Mm -hmm. um, just thinking about being 63 years old and looking back at when I started this whole thing or when the idea of the epiphany came to me when I was 42. Wow. And so it's been 21 years. Mm -hmm. And um, and it started out with just this epiphany it just came to me. Um, what It's gone way beyond what I ever could have imagined um, and that what's happening now is that the community college is now really a community college. I mean, it, it supports community in the college and it supports the community around the college. Mm -hmm. And what happened was the curriculum that came through during the early days of the academy, I think was inspired out of Plato's Academy or we were thinking of the name Socrates Academy, but it just didn't catch on with the young people. So, but it was a, a, an academy for modern times. And what, what I found is that the curriculum we developed back then, which was inspired out of my educational background, you know, being at Harvard Business School and going to some community colleges, or I went to Pasadena City College and some other colleges too. But I took all that and created a curriculum that was project-based, that was based on self-managed work teams. You know, back in the 90s and the 80s, there was Rosabeth Moscanner and Richard Hackman coming up with these concepts that they've been working on for quite a while, and they were my mentors at Harvard. Mm -hmm. um, but I took a lot of these concepts and these ideas and the training that I had at Hewlett-Packard through executive education and, and those types of things, and I brought it to the masses. 
And what I found was that that education was for the community. It went beyond the students. For example, the local governments tied into having anybody that went from a, a line person that was working on things and then became a supervisor, or they became a, a manager of supervisors, had to go through the training, which is the training I put together for originally at-risk and high-risk students. Mm -hmm. But it was the same curriculum. We just changed it in terms of the project emphasis of it. Mm -hmm. It was took intact teams. So what the community college started to turn into was this engine of really good management practices that the community utilized. Because mm -hmm. a community college back in the early 2000, late 1990s, we have all of our divisions, our departments went out and they interviewed their industries like computer science and computer information systems went out and brought together the executives in those industries that gave them ideas of where things were going and they would change their curriculum for that so they could keep students abreast of that. Well, there was really no one that was looking at the governmental agencies and nobody looking at the community-based organizations and those organizations that bring the civic mm -hmm. responsibility back to what we do. And what happened was the academy became this catalyst that met the needs of those organizations in terms of bringing good management practices and self-management. You know, we all had this idea back in Reagan's day, you know, government was bad, you know, government was bureaucratic. And it is, it had this whole mentality that was kind of out of the 50s culture of corporations. But as you know, we all knew in the 80s and the 90s, there was big changes that were happening because of the changing nature of the business world, that the corporations had to respond very fast to change. They had to deal with um, localizing products so that it met the needs of diversified markets. And there was a bunch of things like that. And that led to these new management practices of which Hewlett Packard is one of the first companies back in the 1930s that came up with it. And you, you, uh, and you worked at Hewlett Packard in their research labs, did you? Yeah, I worked in HP Labs for almost eight years. Okay. Let me go back to the point you made about you started out the, the first digital Bridge Academy was for at-risk students. Yes. Say more, and you, you were bringing in basically the kind of methodologies and techniques that have been proven at Harvard and in some of the more advanced uh, industrial companies. Mm -hmm. So describe that. What, what do you mean at-risk youth, at-risk students? Well, back in the the 1990s and the 2000s, there was this movement, especially early 2000s, a thing called No Child Left Behind was the, um, was the name of the act, and it was um, pushed through and, and, and supported by the, the George W. Bush administration, who was the president back then. What it did was it was leading to exit exams and, and all these things leading towards um, examinations of students that increased the number of students that dropped out of high school. Mm -hmm. So what we had happening was an increase of all these adults, 18 year old and older, coming into our society that weren't prepared for the knowledge work um, types of careers that were available that were the growing part of our industry. And in California, and being near Silicon Valley, that's the engine of growth for our economy. And, and foundations like the Hewlett Foundation, the James Irvine Foundation, were very concerned that 10 years out, you know, and by the year 2013, 2015, we weren't going to have the number of workers that we needed to support the kinds of knowledge work industries that we had. 
And so there was this big push to say, what do we do about that? And so, what, what, so there was this convergence. And the convergence was that more people were not graduating from high school. More people were more underprepared for knowledge work types of careers. Um, and this program came in. And so those students that came out that, that dropped out of school, they'd get involved in gangs. They'd get involved in drugs. They'd get involved in hanging out on the streets where there's no one around you know, to supervise them. There was this culture that happened around poverty. It affected these young people, and they became what was known as these forgotten youth. And I felt it was really important that we address the needs of those forgotten youth, because I could think back to when I was once a forgotten youth. Mm. And that's what really propelled me, I think, this vision or this epiphany that came through me to, to try to reach out to these young people. So your first, when you started the, the Digital Bridge Academy, what year was that? Well, the ideas came in 1999. Our first funding came in in the spring of 2002 from the James Irvine Foundation and the um, David and Lucille Packard Foundation. And my, I did pilots for a year and a half of curriculum with very high-risk students. And then my first cohort of students that we accelerated them to college level in one semester was in the fall of 2003. Okay, and these were exclusively at risk uh, well, 95 percent of my students were at risk, and it went from thirty to eighty-three percent were high risk. Mm -hmm. You know, which is really the forgotten youth. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and for for people not familiar with where Cabrillo is and, the, and where these folks come from, would you describe the ethnic background? Well, Cabrillo College is in the north part of the Monterey Bay in California, right on the coast. It's at Aptos, um, California, but we had a campus, a satellite, it's called a center um, in Watsonville. And Watsonville was 80%, 79% Latino mm -hmm. at the time we started the Digital Bridge Academy. And Cabrillo College at that point was developing enough of a student body of Latinos that it became a Hispanic serving institution, mm -hmm. a Title V institution serving um, Hispanic students. Um, and that all happened, you know, around 2008 or so it became a Hispanic serving institution. So the county demographics were, were going down. The housing was very, very expensive. So families that had young children didn't live, moved out of the county. And, it, and we had um, about 20, about 30% Latino in the county, but 80% in Watsonville. So I set up the academy in Watsonville to serve the Latino students that were down there, because that was directed by the, the city manager of Watsonville and the director of the Human Resource Agency. Was, were, your, were your initial efforts uh, successful, or did it take a while? Um, our first pilot I did after interviewing about 125 people that work with at-risk youth. Um, we did it. We put it together in three weeks. I just want to get my hands on the students, and I don't see that it was successful. But we had 100% retention. But we were just doing things that we thought, you know, we just, I wanted to feel what the students were like. But I realized at the end of that pilot that we really needed to light the fire inside of these students. That what you do normally in curriculum stuff didn't do that. So. I spent six months looking for curriculum and developing curriculum that would light a fire in a student. And we did four pilots after that with three different types of curricula. So let's go out now to 2020. Let's go out to the, you know, the 
the place where we are now, the way that education has changed, the way that this has been an influence on the change of education is what we really want to focus our, our energy on today. So, yeah, so, so play with us. So, so what, what's happened is that the community colleges have really become a catalyst for community within the college and external to the college. It's now very much serving the growth of community because it's, it's helping community-based organizations, it's helping the governmental agencies become better stewards of their resources and especially their people because the management styles of governmental agencies back in the 2000 and 1990s was pretty stodgy. It was an old style management, we call it theory X management. That's what they would call it in business school. Mm -hmm. And we're moving it to theory Y, but we had to do it on a low-cost basis because CBOs don't have a community-based organization that have a lot of money. So the community college was the right catalyst to help bring and energize this kind of change in management of practices and approaches. And it's spread throughout the whole United States. I mean, there's 1,800 community colleges, and it's in every one of them. It just fascinated me how it became a viral kind of thing because of the way that we designed it, it, it opened people up to possibility and to hope and that they could see a future that they could align with. And when that happens, you create a social movement. And that social movement emboldens people to suffer together for the future. Hmm. And what happened is, and when I say suffer, it's like some faculty getting lit up in their college by this training we would do, and they would go back and suffer through the bureaucracy they had to face <laughs> and the change they had to bring about. Mm -hmm. But I had very sophisticated change managers working with me. I mean, Bill York, part of the group, so was Peter Garn from Hewlett-Packard, Stu Winby from, from Hewlett-Packard. They helped design the adoption process. You know, you guys helped me design an adoption process that was very effective. Um, so we brought all those tools in. And it's just amazing how it, it took off. Speak to me of how the experience of the students is different today and in the ideal 2020 from what it was back in the early 2000s. Well, in the early 2000s, and when I was at community college, Pasadena City College in 1975 through 1977, mm -hmm. you would spend a semester with a group of students in an intense class because you're learning philosophy or you're learning political science or speech or whatever, and you're learning all this stuff together. And at the end of the semester, you, would know, you wouldn't know anyone in the class that you didn't know before the class. Okay, there was no sense of community. You'd leave class and you, would, you wouldn't even know any of these students. Mm. And, um, and, and we called it community college, which was a misnomer. There wasn't any community. And so what, what, what's changed is that the Digital Bridge Academy, or the concept that we had spawned, actually in the first two weeks creates a dynamic community out of a group of students, of 30 students and the faculty, that helps them endure the process of being a community college. And when I say endure, it's because it's al it was an alienating process back then. You know, the whole admissions process was, there was really no recruiting that happened. They just took students that came in from high schools, mm -hmm. that graduated from high school, they brought those students, it was an easy check target to bring those students in, and then people that were changing jobs needed to be retrained, they'd find the community college. But in terms of reaching out to a broader community, we weren't serving those people. Mm -hmm. And we didn't know how. 
And so we had to change not only how we did our curriculum, and that's where we started with the Digital Bridge Academy, but as we were asked by our funders to expand from like 50 students a year to 350 students a year at Cabrillo, mm -hmm. we had to look at the recruiting processes. How do we change that in the college? We had to deal with the barriers, structural barriers of how do you schedule faculty and rooms and stuff. So it's changed the way the college works, which then changed the way the students' experience of the college was. So if you looked at this as a product, one of our product extensions was at-risk underprepared students. Okay, so after you lit a fire, the semester that followed that, two weeks went into the rest of the 16 weeks of the semester. We got them to college level in one semester. So we accelerated them. Mm. So one of the things that the digital together as a whole. They're two together as a community. The whole time. The whole time. Okay. Just like Harvard Business School. When you go to Harvard Business School, mm -hmm. you're in a cohort of 80 students or so for a whole year. Okay, well, we just did it for one semester because of the business model of the college. Now, what's interesting about this is that we've changed the face of adult education because of this. I had a report that was done by Noreena Badway, who's an evaluator, UC Berkeley, National Science Foundation evaluator, um, Columbia University Teaching College, evaluated my program, and she saw that it was changing the um, practices and the, what people thought was the way to work with high-risk and at-risk adults. Mm -hmm. And I changed all that. And one thing we learned was that you can accelerate students at college level in one semester, that you didn't have to incrementally teach them like they were little kids, and you could challenge them because the challenging moved them forward. It's taking the stretch objectives that we did in corporations. Remember how we had, back then, we would give people these little objectives and they would just move along, but when you put a stretch objective in front of an individual or a team, boy, they would get close to it, which is a lot farther you would do if you did incremental yeah. type of work with teams. Well, we brought those concepts, these business concepts, concepts into the educational environment, and they work there, too. Mm -hmm. uh, there's just something that triggered in me is that there's a democratization process. There's a spreading, you know, this, this used to be hybrid knowledge or almost high priest knowledge that would go into corporations because the corporations were important and they were making money and they were the high end of the leadership of those corporations and then it, it started to flatten out and what you did is said why keep it within the bounds of just organizational life you know because it's great educational stuff right bring it into where the students are and then right. where the community is right right because what corporations were dealing with back in the 2000 1990s was change because markets were fragmenting and they had to figure out how to deal with competition that was out there well, that's the same thing that's true in our communities. We need to bring about change because people were living lives, especially in Watsonville and places that had high poverty communities. Either they were going to be the cogs in somebody else's wheels or they were going to figure out what they needed to create the environment and the, the economy. Because they had to take these skills, these are business skills, right. and apply it to their community. So they were looking at how do they create the economy there, but not only the business economy, but the civic economy, yeah. the cultural economy. Right. And so what our students would work on are social justice issues, because those were really important to them. That's part of what lit their fire. But we taught them all these management skills working on these research projects that then they could take back to the community. And those same exact skills you use in a corporation because 
The process I taught them about social justice research included the product development process that we used at Hewlett Packard, where you understand a creative understanding of user needs, what are the solutions you put in place to meet those needs, mm -hmm. and what's the action plan you're going to put in place in order to implement it. And so those are exactly the skills you need in business to be effective. And not only business, you need it in medicine, you need it in social work, you need it in government agencies. I mean, these are the kinds of skills. So community colleges were more passive. We do research, we study, and what we needed were action-oriented mm. people. And so what we did is we changed education to become action-oriented. And it's interesting because back then there was a split between vocational education and right. academic education. And it was kind of elitism that was there around that. But what people didn't realize is that we had vocational education where you get master's degrees. What they didn't realize is that you have people getting MBAs, you have people getting law degrees, you have people getting social work degrees, you have people with medicine degrees, public health, public policy, all of those are vocational careers, right. but they're professional degrees. But what happened was the community college and the universities usually have people that are not from those careers and those backgrounds. They were more the academic side. You got the MAs because mm. you studied and you knew how to do research, or you got the PhDs. Mm. And so what we did is we changed the way education was looked at. It wasn't this vocational thing to help people become car mechanics. Right. It was for them to become effective managers and knowledge workers. And so... That was a paradigm shift. This has a very strong community is coming together and saying, how do we allow that spirit to come through us in a way that enlivens us, enlivens our communities, and has integrity what the future needs? And that's a deeper journey than just filling your head with knowledge. I mean, it's going inside your heart. It's going into that place that opens you up to the reality of what makes the world better, mm -hmm. you know? And so what we, what we saw happen was that the whole movement towards avarice, the whole movement towards materialism was burning itself out right. Right. and wasn't really providing the solution that these kids in the inner city needed. And luckily they became our guiding lights. We designed it for them, mm -hmm. but it's affected everything else. That's great. You know, and so we use those individuals and students as our guiding lights because they're very special. You know, they're like blades of grass in the coming through the concrete in the inner city. Mm -hmm. And they're survivors and they know how to survive. They had all that it took to survive what they did. Mm -hmm. And we created an environment to allow them to blossom mm -hmm. and bring that out and to provide an education that was for gifted under individuals. Yeah. And so this education was based on acceleration. It was based on humanity, on trust, integrity, mm -hmm. and compassion for what they've gone through and what they could do with their lives. And so by shifting education in that way, mm. rather than becoming the gatekeepers, determining who can write papers well, who's going to go on, mm. we became the floodgate. And we just opened up and said, all of you come here. We can work with anybody. We thank you for joining us for this episode of Stranova's podcast series. If you'd like to learn more about Stranova's business services and the topics discussed in this week's episode, please visit us at www.stranova.com, write us at ideas at stranova.com, or visit our blog at blog.stranova.com. Our program materials are covered by a Creative Commons license, the Attribution Non-Commercial Non-Derivatives 2.5 license by Brad Redderson. 
And this is Brad Redderson inviting you to join us soon for a future audio program exploring where strategy and innovation intersect.